Hi everyone, this is the Hearsay Podcast. My name is Saya. Thanks for listening to this podcast from the ocean of podcasts and content that's out there at the moment while everyone's at home. I'm recording this intro on the 3rd of May and the world is pretty crazy at the moment. I really, really hope everyone's doing okay and keeping their spirits up. Um, I've been mostly okay, you know, up and down as everyone is at the moment. I've been sewing a lot of little felt instruments, which has been really nice. Um, I have been making a bit of music. Uh, I've made a new Instagram page because that's what the world needs right now. Um, it's called pulse width underscore instruments. Um, that's if you want to have a look at it. I totally understand if you don't, but if you want to have a look at it, that's where I've been posting pictures of my little felt instruments. Um, so this is my first quarantine podcast interview and who better to do it with than Paul Dempsey. You would obviously know Paul from, uh, the band Something for Kate. He's the guitarist and singer. I had a really nice remote chat with Paul last week and, you know, we got to talk about being tall and, uh, the new Something for Kate album. Uh, they've actually just released a new song, the first one in a while. It's called Situation Room. Uh, so go check that one out if you haven't already. It's really beautiful. Paul's Strange Show illustration, oh my gosh, what a story, was illustrated by Paul McNeil. You can check out more of his stuff on Insta at Paul McNeil Art. Um, do it. He's absolutely fantastic. You can see all of these podcast illustrations as always on Instagram at Hearsay Podcast or on the Hearsay Facebook page. Send me a message if you want to. I really love hearing from you, especially at the moment. I'm at home. I'm not getting to see my friends or do the things that I normally do. Um, so send me your thoughts, send me whatever. I would love to hear from you. Um, and if you're an artist and you want to have a go at doing one of the pictures for the podcast, uh, I'm always looking for people. So send me through some of your stuff. I'd love to hear from you always. Um, okay, here we go. Podcast number 51, Paul Dempsey. I was going to say to you before, before we started recording, I've never dealt with someone so easy to, you know, there's no like rescheduling. It's like this time. And then you were there exactly at that time. And there was no like, <laughs> oh, actually, can we do it another time? <laughs> right. I'm an incredibly punctual person. Me too. Um, yeah. It really, it really matters to me. Um, I was, uh, I, I am the youngest of four children. Um, I have three older sisters and they're always late for everything. Um, and I think it's, that must have somehow had an impact on me because I'm like I'm early for everything and I'm always organised and prepared. Um, how, how has it been having kids with that in mind? Because they make you late, right? Well, they can do, but you know, as I was um, just explaining to you before we started recording, 
you know, we're homeschooling at the moment, uh, like a lot of other parents, and I'm still getting my son up at the same time and getting him showered and dressed in his school uniform as if he was going to school. That's so uh, great. Because it, it matters. That stuff matters. I think it matters to your headspace and, and your focus and, and how seriously you take it. Um, I love that you're that personality type and also in music because I think that there's not that many people that are – I like to call it German because that's what I am, but you sound <laughs> like you're really <laughs> – it sounds like you're you're really German about things. I love yeah, it. Yeah, well, I, look, I do identify um, <laughs> very much. I love Germany and I, t- I generally love, uh, you know, every German person I've, I've met. Um, I have a lot of German friends. I love being there um, and I really love the way they do things in Germany. Everything functions and is sensible. Sometimes too sensible. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, they're even, I don't know, even even the nonsense is is sensible or, or the sense is nonsensical in, in a cool way. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, you know, there's there's some, I am, I think an, I'm an eighth German. Oh, um, right. Maybe that's where it comes from. Yeah. Well, I can imagine maybe you would be like a really welcomed, adopted German if you were there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like I said, I have spent a lot of time there and I have a lot of friends there and uh, I, I, I slot in pretty easily. I love it. Hey, um, I, first of all, thank you so much for doing this. This is the first podcast I've recorded since this COVID thing started. Um, and I really appreciate you doing it remotely with me. This is really nice. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Have you done much stuff during this quarantine? Have you been doing any live streams or, or interviews or anything? Um, I have actually. Um, I mean, we just put out uh, a new single a few weeks back. So it, yes. it was always going to be a busy time with interviews and stuff anyway. Um, and I guess I'm just surprised that it really hasn't slowed down any. Um, it's just been done remotely. Yeah. And rather than kind of going into radio stations to sit down and talk and play a song, uh, I'm just, you know, talking to them on the phone and then having to sort of record a version at home for them. So (laughs) it's really the same amount of work, except I don't go anywhere. Um, and, but that's uh, kind of nice. You're saving some time. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I'm starting to wonder about how many more ways I can make this same room look or sound interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like I've been um, starting to pull out fairy lights and Christmas decorations. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. How have you been recording? What's your setup at home? Um, well, yeah, luckily I, I have a whole, I have a room in the house that's sort of given over to music. So... I have lots of toys in here. I have a you know a Pro Tools recording rig and and monitors and keyboards and guitars and and electric drums uh, and I actually do a lot of stuff in here. Um, you know I I always I, I demo things up in here to a really really fleshed out pretty much produced extent. Great. And then we all we always end up going to a going into a studio with a producer anyway because we always just want to take that final step where we allow some sort of magic to happen uh, that we weren't expecting. We but we ver- I very much could though make all of our records in this room uh, and you know in a lot of cases if you listen to the demos that I do in this room with all this stuff it's pretty damn close to what the final album is so um heaps of the stuff in this room actually ends up on the album anyway so this situation is 
sort of helping to convince me even more that I should just have the guts to finish an album in here. And totally. I, I think it's it's an insecurity that that leads us to always want to go into a studio with a producer because um, we always want. It's like you need a third party to check that you're not fooling yourselves. And and also, like, we usually pick someone who's just a way better engineer and, and records everything <laughs> at a much better quality than I have. But I, but I feel like I'm improving gradually at that stuff too. But there's also, like, a certain beauty about stuff not recorded super well. You know, sometimes you can get, you know, when people call it demoitis, when you, you get really attached to the way things sound on your demo and I mm. I... I sometimes think, well, sometimes it sounds better through this shitty mic or through this shitty amp or, well, you know, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't yeah. need to be super smooth. You're right. I mean, we do, we have often sort of uh, challenged ourselves because in case we've had demoitis or whatever, but as, as years have gone past and the more records we've made, we've actually started to think that maybe we should trust the demoitis Um and maybe that's actually the thing that we should go with sometimes. Yeah. Um, well, maybe maybe that's the new album for you is just an, an album made in quarantine at home in your studio. Yeah. Dempoitis. <laughs> Quarantitis. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, I wanted to say sometimes um, I start these podcasts with my first memory of the person or the band. And um, yeah. I have a really good one for, for something for Kate. So okay. my first memory of something for Kate was at a four triple Z market day in Brisbane, oh. and I can't remember what year it was, but I'm thinking it was maybe 1996. So I would have been about 15. Oh, and the infamous. Uh, yeah, yeah. Go, sorry. Go on. No, I'm. I'm. You can tell the story if you want to, but <laughs> no. Well, no. I want to hear what your experience was. I, I want to so hear my, where you were standing. My experience was um, that I. So, uh, you know, I was a teenager. It was one of the first festivals I ever went to. And, you know, it's kind of a small festival for Triple Z, the local radio station in Brisbane. It's been around for ages. And um, I don't remember why this happened, but suddenly out of nowhere, there was a massive riot. And there was a massive bunch of policemen that came. All, All I remember is hiding under a trailer um, and it was also storming, so, like it all sort of happened at once. There was a massive, um, massive storm, massive downpour. I hid under a trailer. I remember getting like oil all over my shirt. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that was the same day that, you know, you guys were playing. And, and we didn't play. And you didn't play. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, it's funny because you asked me beforehand, before we spoke today, to think of, you know, my strangest gig experience. I know. Um, Did I ruin and it? And that was, no, no, I've I had a few. I've got too many okay, actually. Great. Um, but that one definitely sprang to mind because, um, yeah, I mean, A, we didn't even get to play. So, we were yeah. headlining that day. Yeah, we, we, were I the, remember. we were the last band and... We were just about to go on. Um, it was about 9.30 at night and uh, it was dark and uh, we were supposed to play on the back of a flatbed truck, like a sort of steel tray uh, flatbed truck. And we were being told that there was a storm approaching and that we probably weren't going to get to play uh, because of the risk of um, you know lightning strikes hitting the stage and electrocution, etc., etc. Um, 
in the meantime, while we were backstage having those discussions with the promoter, the storm blew in uh, and it was really severe and it, I think there was like hail and it like really bucketed down and the whole entire field, I think it was Musgrave Park, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, that's right, in West um, End. Yeah, the whole park just turned to mud. Yeah. Um, and then what you had was um, it was an all-ages event but it was surrounded on the perimeter by bars uh, serving alcohol in tents. <laughs> That's right. When, when <laughs> the um, storm hit, all of the under-18s, you know, rightfully went running for shelter. The only shelter yeah. around was these licensed alcohol tents that they weren't allowed in. Yeah, uh, except so, for there was that one trailer that I hid under, which is <laughs> like a really right. smart idea at the time. <laughs> yeah, so... What we saw from the stage was all of these police came from, you know, I don't know, they must have just been hanging around waiting for the crowd to leave at the end of the night, but they suddenly just flooded into the park. There were so many. Yeah, and then suddenly there were police on horseback and then people were throwing mud at the horses (laughs) and the horses were getting crazy and the police were getting angry and then more police were showing up and then police were showing up in riot gear and the mud throwing intensified and then there were, you know, cans and anything people could pick up started uh, started throwing and it got really, really ugly. And we, in the meantime, were like being told that we weren't going to play because we shouldn't stand on the stage. But, of course, we were standing on the stage watching this, all of this go down because <laughs> it was the best vantage point. Uh, and so we just watched this insane kind of... I, I mean, I guess you could call it a riot. And it um, was. It was. It felt like a riot. It felt so scary. And I and I was wondering if it was because I was I was still really young. But it must have been terrifying for everyone. Yeah. Well, there was certainly a lot of uh, accusations of brutality on the part of the police, and we afterwards had to speak to an inquiry. There was a state inquiry into uh, the incident. That's right. And we had to, you know, talk to some, you know, uh, I don't think it was a federal, it was a state level inquiry. We had, we had to do all these official interviews. And then I remember, you know, I think there was like a four or five page article in Juice magazine or one of those wow. uh, magazines about it. We had to talk to them and uh, it was pretty intense. And um, yeah, that's my first memory to, of seeing the name Something for Kate and going, oh, I'm really looking forward to seeing them. And then like, the craziest day (laughs) happening yeah it was pretty weird (laughs) wow that's crazy I loved hearing your recollection of it because that sounds even almost even crazier than mine mine are just really like teenage memories like I I was wearing a velour jumper and my velour jumper got ruined (laughs) and (laughs) I remember following a boy around that festival who looked a bit like Beck and I was obsessed with Beck at the time (laughs) and I I remember following him around I think I was probably 19 it was def- yeah, it was wow. maybe the maybe our third ever visit to Brisbane and yeah. I think we were just super excited to be playing at a festival and to be playing last and you know we kind of It's a big thing. Yeah. Hey so at the moment so you've got your new song Situation Room that's just come out which is beautiful. Do you know what's happening with the album? Um well it's it's not going to come out according to our original uh, plan, um, but uh, we are going to be ready essentially. Like we we were just in the process of kind of completing the artwork, 
um, and all that sort of stuff anyway. So, you know, we're going to have it ready to schedule. Like the music part of it is it's all finished and mastered and we were just sort of uh, creating the, the art. And um, so we'll finish doing that and then essentially we just want to be ready uh, to drop it when it feels sensible. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's... There's just logistical things uh, in our way as well. Um, get actually getting things manufactured. Um, sure. Is uh, you know there's some issues there. Um, so and and look the other thing too is just that no one knows what next week is going to look I like know. or the week after that. So um, we're just sort of taking it a week at a time and and we're going to have it all ready to go uh, and just try and do it when it feels right. Um, it's hard because we understand that. You know, there's, there's people out there who are waiting to hear it and we desperately want to share it as well. Of course. But that's all, you've also got to balance that against the fact that, you know, we've been working on this for, you know, three years and it would also just sort of, um, we, we, want, it, we want to give it a, a proper release and we want to give it a life and we want to do it justice. Um, and yeah, so th- there's all those factors as well. Yeah, I understand that. But it must be such a letdown after, you know, the build-up of, you know, it's all happening, you're doing interviews and everything, and then it's going to be like, oh, we don't know when <laughs> we're don't know when yeah. we going to be able to do this. Yeah, it's – it's look, it is disappointing, obviously. Everyone has um, a um, – everyone has a big load of disappointments, um, yeah. you know, in lots of different areas of their lives at the moment. Um it's it's a weird balancing act because at the same time we we want to do justice to the years we've spent making this album. Of we course. also don't want to waste the next two years not putting it out. Yes. Um, so it's going to come out uh, at at you know when when the time is right. Even if we can't go out and play shows, um, we will put it out when you know when we can find that that correct balance. Um, yeah. I guess the other good news, though, I mean, if it's good news, is that. <laughs> I'm spending this time right now just working on another record and we're just going to keep if we can't go out and play live we can at least continue to be creative and so I'm almost we've kind of taken the view that we could come up with a sequel uh to this album uh, if if we spend this time wisely uh we could just be ready to to drop more music uh Absolutely. when the time is right so like Beyonce just keep it coming yeah, exactly. Why not? <laughs> exactly like Beyonce. <laughs> but you know, we were going to be playing in Brisbane tonight. Um, you know, for the first show of a tour. So yeah, you know, that's all that's that stuff. Disappointing. disappointing yeah. And also, I suppose then you have to think about you know if it's going to take another year to come out or something, then you might feel a certain disconnect from the album or from the songs because it's been so long since you finished them. So there's that yeah, whole that's... balancing act as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's tough. Um. On a brighter note, can we talk about how great Clint is? <laughs> yes, of course, anytime. Clint is so, the best. Uh, I've, I really love and not, I mean, obviously he's a great person, but I was so excited to get to play music with him in, in Ben Salter's band because he has such a, such a great style. He hits so fucking hard and yes. it's actually really exciting to, to play in a band with him. Do you have any memories of, um, you know, when you first started playing together? Um, yeah, I mean, lots. Um, and a lot of them <laughs> a lot of them were me telling him to hit harder. Oh, really? 
it's um, your fault. It's your fault. Yeah. I'm deaf in my left ear. <laughs> oh, and S- Stephanie is as well. Like uh, I- I've been sort of protecting my ears a lot better for for a long time, but uh, S- Steph didn't always wear earplugs, and and her and Clint both have kind of one side that's that they blame each other for. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and and I got to say as well, he plays quietly in the Ben Salter band. <laughs> it's yeah, right, you know, comparatively. Yeah, that's Clint on a on a lower setting. But, um, <laughs> he um, I mean, we first played together in high school. Um, you know, just in sort of high school battle of the bands type stuff. I think the first time we played together, we called ourselves Nine Iron. Great name. Yeah, I think we did a Dinosaur Junior song and a No Effects song. Um, Do you remember what they were? We did Freak Scene, I think. Oh, great. Um, and what was the No Effects song? Um, I'm pretty sure it was Liza and Louise. Um, and we did one other song. I think we did a Nirvana song. We did, uh, I think we did Sliver. Oh, yeah. Um, great riffs. Yeah. These are all great yeah. riffs. Great 90s yeah, riffs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, rel- relatively simple, um, you know, for, uh, you know, the people still kind of learning how to do their sure. thing. Um, but, yeah, we kept on playing together after that. And, um, I mean, you know, we were just sloppy as hell and, and couldn't really play our instruments very well at all. But we just loved the same music and... You know, we kind of fell in and out of bands with each other, um, and I, but I do remember the one kind of moment where we were at the punters club together watching some band play, and we both just kind of looked at each other and went, "Like, we can do that. Like, we, you know, we could do that. We could, you know, get a gig at the punters club." Yeah. Um, and so we, you know, I guess we just got back to actually giving it a shot. That's great. I have memories of that feeling too. Like not that you're watching a shit band, but you have this feeling. I don't know if it's maybe like a a young ego where you're like, I I think that that I could do better than that. Why don't I have a gig at the Punners Club? <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of that. It was also just that kind of uh, that that feeling that you could possibly participate at least. Um, it yeah. wasn't like you know, oh, we could be so much better than these guys it was more just like they're doing it why aren't we and then and then did you get a gig at- yeah our first gig was at the punters club Aww. on september 12th 1994 it was a monday night how do you remember that three other bands uh screaming white noise uh the herd and one other band oh no maybe it was just the three bands it was eight dollars and there were 87 payers that's incredible that you remember that. <laughs> I remember I remember like pretty much every gig we ever played. Well, I think my first gig was um when I played in in this band Sekiden, my first gig was at a party. I think maybe my first 3 or 4 gigs were at parties. I reckon we played at the Art House together. Yes, very long time ago. And I also have a a memory of I don't know if this was maybe after you're on on the show Recovery, which I was, everyone was obsessed with when they were um, teenagers in the 90s. Um, but I I was always meeting bands and they were really short and I think you were the first person <laughs> I met and I was like, oh, he's, <laughs> he's taller yeah. than me. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you are tall. How tall are you? 6'1". There you go. How, how tall are you? 
I'm just over six six. Yeah, my dad is six seven, so I right. I come from a really tall family. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's pretty much just you and Thurston Moore. Everyone else is short. <laughs> well, you'd you'd know Marcus Teague. Oh yeah, uh, yeah from yeah. Dolores. He's he's yeah. we're basically the same height. Uh, yes. Peter Garrett is Peter pretty Garrett. much the same height as me. I mean, Pat, who plays in your band, is quite tall. Yeah, he's about six two. Yeah, bit taller than me. Yeah, there's not many of us around. No, it's it's true. Do um do people ever meet you and and go, wow, you're way taller than I thought you were? Yes, constantly. Yeah. It's usually the first thing out of people's mouth. Yeah, me too. Um. And it's always funny. I, I always find it funny because it's usually people talking to you after a show, and it obviously being on stage obviously creates some optical illusion where people can't judge your height. <laughs> yeah. Even though I'm standing next to Stephanie and next to Adrian, or you know, for some reason, you know, people are still surprised when they see you off the stage. I guess because they were looking up at you. Yes. And then when they finally see you on the level, it's <laughs> like, oh my god, you. A giant. I know. I get it all the time. And I think as a woman too, people people don't expect women to be this tall. Um, so it's yeah. pretty much, it's. I talk about it a lot. So I'm sorry for bringing it up, but it's. I no, guess it's because we're in the same boat. But I feel like I spent half my life talking about my height. <laughs> oh, I'd, absolutely. God, if I had a dollar. I mean, it really, and it's not just people, you know, at shows or whatever. I mean, I'm, I, I go to the store mm-hmm. and... It's just like, hey, could you get one of those down for me, please? <laughs> or, you know, or just random people like going. Yeah, you are you know, so tall. Hey, how's yeah. the weather up there? It's like, seriously, people actually say that. I know. Like, they say it to lot. me too. Yeah. We talk about this all the time in my family because my sisters are tall. My yeah. my elder sister, Jill, her husband is quite, she's tall. She's 6'2". Her husband is 6'3", 6'4". And their, their daughters who are both in their 20s, are both six foot five. Oh, my God. That's yeah. great. What a family. It's, yeah, my kids are already, my like my son is the tallest kid in grade three. It's oh, that's like, awesome. it's just, well, it's, it's awesome now, but, you know, I'm going to have to <laughs> teach him about the going to the store stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You need a good, you just need a good um, diversion. I know. I'm, I'm just, I'm just too polite. And you Me know, I, I don't say anything. I smile and laugh and go, of course. Yeah, it's like I've ne- I've never heard that before. <laughs> so clever for pointing that out. <laughs> yeah, I know. And you just you'd be a dick to you know have some comeback. I mean, they're just trying to be friendly. I know. Um, I know. But they sometimes... just don't realize how annoying. <laughs> yeah, they don't. Realize. How annoying friendly people are. <laughs> <laughs> I was once walking down the street. And someone yelled, you're tall, out of their car. (laughs) (laughs) I almost went, that's accurate. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) You're incredibly observant and perceptive. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I always find whenever anyone yells anything at me out of a car, Mm. I just, you know, by the time I react, they're they're 500 metres down the road and I feel so deflated. Even if it's a friend, like a friend drives past and goes, hey, man. <laughs> and like it, I'm still working out who it was. And by the time I've worked out who it was, and I, I feel deflated, like I've been taken by surprise. You've, they've taken the opportunity away from you to respond. Yeah. 
Yeah. Exactly. That's the crock of shit. Never, I will never yell anything out of a car at anyone because I feel like it's unfair. You've got an unfair advantage. Yep. You've got <laughs> and you've got the Doppler effect. <laughs> um so to can we talk about songwriting? I mean, I'd love to talk about how we're both tall for the, for a while, but <laughs> let's <laughs> let's talk about songwriting. Um do you who were your who were your heroes? Like who were you listening to when you were when you were young, when you were growing up? Well, look, speaking as a tall person, um, <laughs> <laughs> um I, I mean, you know, to to sort of go from the beginning, I guess. As I mentioned, I had three older sisters and and luckily they had pretty good taste in music. So, you know, before I was independently discovering music, I was already sort of having some pretty good stuff drilled into my head uh, by my sisters. So they mm. were listening to like uh, Talking Heads and or The Birthday Party. You know, they, they oh, were great. going to see The Birthday Party um, and Hunters and Collectors and uh, local Australian bands that, you know, weren't really the mainstream at that point in time. Uh, you know, they still talk about seeing Midnight Oil and in excess at the Sandringham Hotel for five bucks. Wow! You know, wow. Um, so you know they were they were really into the live music scene when they were teenagers, and I was a lot younger. Um, and then, and then you know, I, I think like every kid at that point in time, I owned like Brothers in Arms by Dire Straits. Oh my god, and, me too. Yeah, exactly. Every kid in the world was yeah. issued a copy of that. Yeah, um, <laughs> um, and. And then like the Beastie Boys, Licensed to Ill, and uh, and then kind of after that, I you know I was starting to play the guitar, and so I was fascinated with you know crazy good guitar players. Like um, who? Who was your well? Favorite? You know, naturally you're just impressed by people who can play really fast. So yes. I gravitated towards you know heavy metal music, and um, and you know I couldn't. I remember walking past a record store and seeing an Iron Maiden poster in the window and just, uh, you know, I, I was in love with them before I even heard them. Um, and so I I did a deep dive into Iron Maiden and then Metallica and then, and then that taste in metal got a bit more dark and a bit more severe and then I was into Slayer and Carcass and <laughs> Napalm Death and and you know grindcore and death metal and whoa um and that went for a few years and then you know at that point I was I could play guitar about as fast as I needed to and were you were you just playing in drop D uh, no, no. The, the, oddly enough, I mean Slayer and Iron Maiden and all those bands. It's all standard tuning. Yeah, right. Um, you know, so I was able to listen to it and teach myself to play guitar just by sort of uh, mimicking and trying to do what they were doing. And, you know, I had a pretty sharp ear, so I was able to just kind of try and figure out how to play what I was hearing. And that's basically how I taught myself to play guitar. And then when I could do that I was and sort of getting bored with it, that's when I sort of discovered Sonic Youth and Dead Kennedys and Black Flag uh, and eventually Fugazi, uh, and I think those bands really, really just changed my whole perception of how to approach the guitar and the drums and yeah. just and musical arrangements in general because they just challenged all of the notions of what you were supposed to do with a guitar. Um, yeah, I definitely can relate to that for sure. 
or just like an, any like musical structure too. You know, some of them didn't even have choruses and some of them didn't have, you know, they did just the same chords over and over. And I, yeah, yeah, I remember being really affected by that too as a kid. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, look, but particularly Fugazi uh, were a band that really um, had a big impact on me. Also, more so not just because of any particular instrument, but because of the way they made four instruments fit together. And it was so, and still is just sort of counterintuitive and nobody else does it the way they do it. And it's just so unique. And um, Did you see, on a side note, did you see that um, Repeater is 30 years old this year? I did. A friend posted that, that really <laughs> to me the other week. I oh, know, it's my nuts, mind. right? <laughs> yeah, it's it makes me feel like a very old person. Yeah. <laughs> it, I, yeah. But at the same time, I don't know. Um, the good news is that it's still just, I mean, one of the most exciting albums ever made and Absolutely. it still stands up and you just kind of go, well, I don't know. So Repeat is 30 years old and I still feel like, you know, it's still a challenge. It's still, that album is still so good that it's still a challenge to every band out there to try and do better. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing that I was talking to my friend about when we were talking about Repeater being 30 years old is that there's a bigger gap between Nevermind and Now than there was between Abbey Road and Nevermind. Isn't that <laughs> insane? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so back, so when you were getting into Fugazi and stuff, do you remember the first kinds of songs you were writing? Um, well, I actually wasn't really writing songs at that point. Um, All right, you're just mimicking was, what you were hearing. Yeah, I was just learning how to play everything I heard. Um, oh, that's so, cool. And I and not just on the guitar. I sort of I I would um, sit with a pair of drumsticks and basically, you know, learn how to do what the drummer was doing, even though I didn't have a drum kit in front of me. Oh, um, what were you playing then, on? Air. I was air drumming oh. uh, with with <laughs> sticks, but That's I knew where great. all the drums were, so I I was doing it properly. And then when I was able to get on a drum kit, I could do it. Wow. Um, and so. I actually was playing drums in bands and never owned a drum kit. Um, wow. Just air practice. Yeah, but I'd learn all the parts too. So then I'd like get on the drums at, you know, some friend's house and they'd be like, oh, let's, you know, play this, you know, Iron Maiden song or whatever. And I knew all the fills and because um, I just incredible. knew what you were supposed to hit. <laughs> I wonder if you could do that with any other instrument or if, if – Drums are the, kind of the only instrument that one could do that with. I think, yeah, I mean, definitely with drums because you don't uh, – it's pretty easy to know to, – to map out a drum kit in front of you. Um, you know what the kick and the hats and the snare do and, you you know, so, yeah, you can do that. Obviously, it's much harder uh, to hear something and know where to play the notes on, a, yes. on an instrument. I can kind of do that – I can do that with the guitar, like – if I hear something, I can pretty much pick up the guitar and do it. Wow. Um, You're one of those crazy people that can just play everything. Um, well, you know, not everything. Uh, well, you know, within reason, I can, <laughs> you know, but I can, you know, I, I can hear things and tell you what chords they're playing. Uh, so do you have perfect pitch? Yeah. Uh, insofar Whoa, as anybody, what? insofar as anybody has perfect pitch, like, uh, you know, but yeah, I can, I can hear a song and go, oh, yeah, that's the chord progression is, you know, uh, C sharp, uh, G flat minor, A major, you know. 
That is so yeah. impressive to me. I, I think I could probably do like, well, that sounds like a CGD chord progression, but then if if you actually played it, it would be like A, you know, start in A or something, you know. It yeah, you'd be, get the progression yeah. right, but not the key. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah um, my sister, one of my sisters has perfect pitch as well. Um, and she uh, was a classically trained opera singer. Um, wow. So it's it's sort of in the family, but it's also not something that you just, you know, you're not just born with it. You have to hone it as well. And typically, like, it has to sort of be done at a pretty young age. So I think I'm lucky that I happened to grow up in a house where there was constant music and but not just records playing actually people performing music in the house because my sisters and my mother were all trained singers so they're all singing at each other and singing in harmony and uh that's beautiful so you just your young brain just gets wired to pick harmonies and and sort of know how those things fit together yeah do you do you see yourself as a vocalist um i look I guess more so now than I ever used to. It's a work in progress, but I certainly <laughs> I never intended to be a singer. Um, I was always more interested in playing instruments and all the bands that I ever formed, including something for Kate, uh, searched for vocalists and or audi- and had different singers who just didn't last. And basically, I ended up singing in something for Kate out of nothing but impatience and frustration at at not being able to. Uh, find a singer who would stick around um, yeah. and and be motivated because, um, you know, me and Clint wanted to play that gig. Uh, yeah, you wanted to play at the punters club. Yeah, so eventually it was just like, well, I'm just going to do this and I was just yelling my guts out and I yelled my guts out for the better part of, you know, 10 years <laughs> before I think I started to sound like a singer. I mean, I feel like you're so recognisable as a vocalist you can definitely always instantly recognize that it's you, um, which I think is a is a massive thing. I think that's really impressive. Um, well, you know, thank you. It's it's good if, it, if it's a, <laughs> it's good if it's a, a voice that you like. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean that that's that that was part of that sentence I meant to add in. You're very recognizable, beautiful singer. <laughs> well, you know, I think it is it is recognizable uh, and. I think you're right. You can tell it's me and, you know, for a lot of people that's not a good thing. <laughs> oh, that guy again. Uh, I disagree. But I um, I was wondering because I think a lot of people, um, I feel like people wouldn't ever say that they're a singer. People would always say that they fell into it. And I, I'm the same. I mean, I, I feel really... Um, I don't know if insecure is the right word, but I would, I would never say... I'm a singer. I would always say like I I play music and people go, "Do you sing?" and I go, "Oh yeah, I'll I I try and sing my own songs, you know." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um but yeah, I always I'm always interested to see how other people see it even when they're like excellent proficient singers. Yeah. Oh, uh, look, I I've been um doing this for 25 years now and I would say that for the first half of that, I didn't think of myself as a singer. And then when I started to embrace that and actually really run with it, I feel like I've been discovering my voice more and more like with each passing year. And it's I feel that it's satisfying to feel that it's something that I'm getting better at uh, and that I've still got loads of 
you know, loads to get better at and a long way to go. Um, but I feel that my confidence and ability as a singer, um, you know, is broadening as time goes on. But that's, that. you know, that's just, I'm not talking about the material that I sing, whether it's mine or anybody <laughs> else's. I'm just talking more about the my own feeling of how I do it and how it feels. Um, it gets better with time. So, Absolutely. Practice. Yeah. But do you, how do you feel in general about um, how your confidence has changed do, having done this for so long? Um, it's sort of mildly frustrating because when I do make some sort of progress or have some sort of breakthrough, there's always that moment where it's just like, why didn't I know that? before yeah (laughs) and you know the thing is you don't know what you don't know and you wish somebody told you but there's so many things that especially with something like singing it's it's not verbal it's not something that anyone else can communicate you just have to find it yourself and then yeah but when you do it's like oh god i could have used that 10 years ago um, yeah, or why absolutely. didn't I do that 10 years? Like, you know, why didn't I, <laughs> yeah. you know, I've got this, I've got a falsetto and I pretended I didn't yeah. have it for 15 years <laughs> and I can sing really, really fucking high and for years yeah. and years I ran away from it and yeah. and there's so many parts of my voice like that that for whatever reason I didn't or haven't used um, and I'm trying to use them um, but I still, I still have times where I kind of stumble across something and go, why, why haven't I done that before? Um, <laughs> I have to say that I one of my favourite songs of yours is Survival Expert and you sing quite high in that song. Yeah. And I think I did think, wow, this is a different part of your voice that sounds amazing. It's such a great area for you to sing in and why don't you do it more often? Yeah, well, look, the other thing I – think that has helped with all of this stuff is that um it's from doing covers as well um because you know i really enjoy doing uh the odd cover and but one of my weird little perfect pitch things is that i can't do covers and move the key from where it was originally because it makes me feel ill um (laughs) i i hate hearing if because once i hear something it's just in my brain in that key yeah. forever after. And if I hear wow. it in another key, it just doesn't agree with me. Um, so when I do covers, I have to – if I can't do them in the original key, if I can't sing them in the original key, then, you know, forget about it. And Steph and Clint are always like, oh, we should cover that. And it's like, uh, can't sing it in that key. And they're like, <laughs> we'll change the key. And I'm like, no, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Um, wow, you could never be in a band with Ben Salter. Go, <laughs> I think, I think maybe we'll play a semitone down the whole set, one semitone down tonight. Right. Well, you know, he has done that. I admire that as well. <laughs> that that flexibility. Regurgitator do it too. They'll do, they'll quite often do like, um, you know, maybe the last ten minutes of a rehearsal. They go, actually, I think we might play this song in D instead of G now, and then I have to learn it in. 10 minutes yeah, right. and then the first time I play it is in front of an audience. <laughs> yeah, I see. Uh, it's fucked. But, so, but by one of the side effects of this though is that by only ever singing songs in their original key, it forces me to hit notes that I would probably, that I would never write for myself. 
because I'd go, that's yeah. that's crazy high. You wouldn't too high. Yeah, if yeah. you're writing something, you wouldn't make yourself sing up there. But if someone's you know says to you, why don't you cover this Miley Cyrus song? Uh, <laughs> then you you push your voice up there, and you're like, oh shit, I I can hit that I note if it. I try really hard. Um, and it's that's awesome. So I think stuff like that is a good way to also. You know, it's a bit like teaching yourself to play guitar by, you know, playing along with your favorite records. If you're a singer, it's like try and sing stuff that isn't comfortable. Absolutely. Mm. I think that's great advice. So just to go back to your, the first kinds of songs that you were writing. So you were you were saying that you were sort of screaming through the 90s. <laughs> yeah, like everybody else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was sort of the, what, um, it was the vocal style du jour. <laughs> what, what kind of, do you remember the first songs that you were writing and how they compare to the songs that you're writing now? Yeah, I mean, so I guess that the first band I was in that, that wrote originals, um, was a band with my friend uh, Simon Morrison, who you know, a teenage friend. I practically lived at his house. So, and and you might know Joel Morrison. He uh, owns the Old Bar. Oh yeah, yeah. So Simon was Joel's older brother, and we were the same age. And so I, I practically kind of lived at their house, growing up. And Simon and I had a band with a, another couple of friends that we called Al Yukon. Um, because at the time we were playing a lot of Street Fighter on Nintendo and there's that character who whenever he did like a flying jump kick, he'd go, Aluken. Um Do you know that's the second time someone has mentioned Aluken to me in a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was obviously uh, influential. <laughs> the, the makers of Street Fighter 2 will never know uh, yeah. how they've influenced indie rock in Australia. <laughs> yeah, so that was our band, and then we decided to start writing our own stuff, and um, and you know it was very much in that, I guess in that Fugazi style of, I would never play the same thing on the guitar that Simon was playing on the bass, and whoever the drummer was at the time would, like we all played counter to each other. Um, Great. Every individual part had to be doing something totally separate but they had to lock together in some wonderful way so i think even from the very beginning it was that that influence of of uh fugazi and sonic youth and and a lot of those bands where it was just like no we're not gonna have a rhythm guitar that follows the bass line that's glued to the kick drum so that the lead guitarist can play a solo um it's it was more like how do we make four different frenzied things meet somewhere that's great i feel yeah i feel like you're definitely still doing that yeah i mean i just get really easily bored with stuff where i can predict what's going to happen next um which you know for better or for worse is a lot of popular music um you know you hear that you hear a verse and then you hear the chorus and chances are the second verse is going to be the same as the first and the second chorus is going to be the same as the first chorus was, and then it's probably going to go to a bridge, and then they're probably going to return to that chorus. Um, Maybe a solo. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess, you know, we've done that sometimes if it's felt right because ultimately we want to serve the song. But I'd say more often than not we try and undermine that and try and sort of offer a surprise detour when you sit down to write a song 
do you sort of write that like verse, chorus, verse, and then go, okay, how can I change up the second verse or how can I make this interesting? Um, no, not really. And, you know, for everything I've... It just comes out. Well, yeah. I mean, for everything I've just said, which makes it sound like it's all very deliberate and premeditated, it's actually not at all because it's it's just a really deep in instinct that just doesn't allow me or us to even go down that path (laughs) so it's just it just it just comes naturally because you've you've trained your brain yeah well we um, but it's not it's not just me i mean clinton steph as well we just we have this knee-jerk reaction um that just will prevent us from you know i don't know we we will just automatically look at each other and go no we did that already um yeah okay interesting and we also sort of have a it's we have a sort of a mistrust of the four four time signature (laughs) (laughs) it's i mean it's there occasionally but we have suspicions i am the opposite i come from like the ramones kind of upbringing (laughs) where everything is the same everything is you know everything is four four and everything's repeated (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the Ramones are the uh, they're the Andy Warhol, Campbell's soup can. Absolutely, of punk rock. But having said that, I I love listening to bands that challenge that idea, you know. But I think it took me a lot longer to to realize that that was what was happening because my whole my you know my dad my my family listened to the Beatles, you know, especially early Beatles, not like late Beatles that you know. It was very sort of non-experimental, 4-4, everything was um, very much a tight, neat little package. Yeah. Um, so it took me ages to figure out that bands like Sonic Youth existed and what that meant for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I sort <laughs> it of... It sounds like you've always had it. But then I sort of kind of, I guess I came back around the long way though because, you know, I guess later in my teens, I, I really got into REM and... And, you know, obviously lots of other bands too, but R.E.M. kind of stand out as, to me, just being a, a really amazing songwriting band. Um, I guess after several years of, uh, you know, trying to sort of, uh, you know, make these sonic jigsaw puzzles, I, I then started to appreciate just really good quality songwriting. So I think I eventually learned as well that ultimately what really matters is the song and the feeling of the song and the place that it takes you to and it can't always just be about you know math rock and and crazy time signatures there has to be a song there that it has to take you away somewhere for three or four minutes and if you're not doing that then you you're kind of just uh you know it's sort of exhibitionism or or self-indulgence so yeah and there's something to be said for self-indulgence too Oh, you're talking to a guy who, you know, made it a few albums where I play every single instrument. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, that is, if that's not self-indulgence, uh, I don't know what is. But um, what do you, what do your kids listen to? Um, at the moment, their favorite thing is Uncle Acid and the Deadbeats. What is that? Um, <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> it is great. They're my favorite thing at the moment too, which probably explains why they're the kids' favorite thing. Um, they are a um, a band from London, 
And, you know, there's probably no better way to describe them than, you know, they are a heavy metal band. Um, oh, right. But, you know, they're from London and, you know, they probably – they're from London in 1977, uh, but it's okay. 2020. Um, there's this – just this great uh, – a lot of harmony, a lot of fantastic guitar playing, uh, you know – just really great melodies and just a really awesome guitar band. And there's this weird sort of dystopian clockwork orange Doctor Who psychedelia about it. Um, that sounds amazing. Yeah. And I'm just so happy that my kids like it. <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting you to say, you know, Taylor Swift or we Miley all, or, you know. We all love Taylor Swift as well. <laughs> uh, I absolutely adore Taylor Swift. So um, do I. Yeah. I was going to ask how, you know, what your reaction is to that kind of music that's obviously, you know, I mean, the production on it is is really specific and, and quite like uh, dynamic. Yeah. Um, but I, but really it's it's all very much like structured. I mean, again, though, like if, 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 if it's about the song itself, and I guess this is what I try and illustrate with the covers I choose as well, because a lot of them are like really overproduced eighties pop, you know, one yeah. hit wonders that I choose to cover. Um, but it's usually because there's an absolutely fantastic song hiding underneath. Um, yeah. And, you know, with Taylor Swift, it's, I, I don't necessarily think they're hiding underneath. I, I mean, I, I love her songs and I love her voice and, um, but the songs are so strong that, you know, if it's not her, they'd be like anyone could sing those songs with virtually any arrangement, and the the sort of integrity and strength of the of the song and and the construction of it, I think, would still stand up. I agree. Mm. Um, I'm gonna ask you a couple of like quick fire questions. Yeah, and then I'm gonna ask you my last question. Okay. Um, what are your thoughts on really quickly? Give me like five words on your memories of the Give Goods. Oh, um, <laughs> drugs, um, benders, uh-huh. um, great songs, um, yep. and, uh, uh, what's the, what's the that's, fifth that's word? That's enough. Th those are the words that I expected. It, it could um, just say, you know, <laughs> fantastic album, uh, ruined by drugs. Yeah. But yeah, you know, something like that. Yeah. I love that album. Um, five words of your memories of living in New York. Oh, um, shows, um, friends, fatherhood, food and bars. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Um, okay, five um, pieces of gear you couldn't live without? Uh, my 1965 Fender Telecaster, uh, my two other 1965 <laughs> Fender Jazzmasters, uh, my custom-made Maton uh, Acoustic, and uh, my Nord Stage Keyboard. Great. While we've all been in quarantine... How have you been spending your time apart from, you know, in, in dad town and and writing music? Um, have you been like doing, have you been stuck in YouTube holes or have you been? <laughs> um, no, not at all. I um, I mean, that's pretty much it. I, I spend like the first half of the day in um, 
you know, trying to be a grade three teacher and <laughs> the second half of the day uh, trying to be productive in my kind of music room. Uh, and then I, you know, I make dinner and, and we all listen to Uncle Acid and the Deadbeats. Um, <laughs> and then after dinner, I'll do maybe a little more, little more in my music room. And then, you know, we might all watch something together. And, and that's pretty much been like every day. Yeah. Um, for about six weeks because we actually wow. we got back from Los Angeles right at the beginning of March just before everything really got weird. But we chose then we decided just to put ourselves into voluntary isolation because no one knew what was happening and we didn't want to unexpectedly make other people sick before if we didn't yeah. even know whether we were sick or not. Um, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, we've been – we're getting pretty good at this. Yeah, that's yeah. good. That's good. And I guess so lucky. I feel really lucky as well that I've got the studio at my house. Um, you can still feel yeah. productive even though you're trapped. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, look, it's, I mean, I guess everyone feels trapped, but, you know, just if you've got a room in your house that you can go to, then you're really, you're already doing better than a lot of other Absolutely. people. Absolutely. Do you feel sometimes that you have days where you're not productive at all in the studio? Um, no, not really. I mean, I don't necessarily make or create music every day, but, uh, you know, like yesterday I spent kind of three hours learning about, uh, like, summing amps. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I I think that, you know, I take something from every day that, yeah. that other people might not view as productivity, but if I've learnt something or... I don't know, figured something out that mattered to me, then, you know, I think I managed to do that each day. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Some days I've, I've just watched, yeah, like three-hour YouTube tutorial on something that I didn't know, you know, some some kind yeah. of lo logic trick that I didn't know existed. Yeah, that's it. All right, Paul, I'm going to ask you my last question, which is the question that I ask everyone. Uh, what is your strangest show experience? Okay. Well, I have several answers that I could Great. give you. You can um, give me however many you want to give me. Well, because I'm conscious as well that this is going to be somehow rendered into a piece of visual art. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm conscious that it's – I want to give them something to work with, you know, because um, I could tell you the story about, you know, last year when I was on stage in Toronto and – my left hand stopped working completely what? and I thought I was having a stroke. Oh my God. Um, what happened? What was it? I was just, I was just halfway through a song and I suddenly couldn't move my fingers on my <gasps> left hand. And then my fingers all just sort of attached themselves to my like palm. They all just sort of, my hand just turned Holy into a, moly. a frozen claw. Shit. What was and it? And I couldn't, I, 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 it was just like a muscle sort of, it just my whole arm and wrist and everything just cramped up so badly wow that i couldn't move my fingers and i and i had to stand on stage for like 10 minutes doing stretches and and trying to like entertain the audience <laughs> that's not a very good you know piece of visual art though so um I'll... still a good story and i'm <laughs> yeah, so glad well, that it, that your finger movement came back uh, yeah no it's fine i think yeah but um <laughs> i look uh the one that springs to mind as well is um, in 2001, I went to East Timor 
around Christmas time with the Australian Army Band. Wow. And also Missy Higgins and Killing Heidi and Groove Terminator. Uh, and, you know, basically a bunch of sort of, uh, you know, popular Australian acts of the yeah. time. And mm-hmm. we were all taken over there to play Christmas concerts for the Australian and United Nations peacekeeping troops wow. who were over there at the time. It was during that transitional time before East Timor was independent and there was still a bit of, you know, uh, a, a still a bit of militia activity on the border with um with indonesian militants and stuff so anyway uh there was a you know there was a whole australian presence over there and and they were having each christmas uh they would have a bunch of acts go over there and play and so i went over there and we went around to i think it was eight different uh bases in, in different parts of east timor and we would play these it was just me with my acoustic guitar, so each evening, it was usually around sundown, you would get on the back of a flatbed truck uh, to play for, you know, a bunch of soldiers and peacekeeping yeah. troops and then and usually a few hundred local uh, Timorese people. Uh, and they were always in these incredible locations. Sometimes you were up a mountain, sometimes you were next to a beach, sometimes, you know... Uh, you were in the jungle. Um, amazing! It was a really amazing. Yeah, it was. It was a two-week trip, and it was an incredible experience. But because you were always playing around dusk, um, and you were standing on the back of a flatbed truck, and it was it would be starting to get dark, and the only lights around were the sort of parkan lights on this truck that were pointed directly at me. Yeah, and. Just the most gigantic prehistoric insects would come <laughs> out, Correct. and they would all you'd be playing, and they would all just be landing all over you, um, because you know they're attracted to the light. So, of course. Uh, the the darker the sky got, the more you would just get covered in just like flying lizards. Oh and Jesus Christ! Just <laughs> like praying. I remember at one point I'm singing into the you know the fifty, the SM fifty eight microphone, yeah. and there was a praying mantis standing <laughs> on top of the microphone that was as long as the microphone. Fuck! And it's just like having a staring competition with me <laughs> while I'm sort of just edging on and off. The, every time I had to sing, I'd I'd lean back, take a deep breath, and then sort of lean in and glance the microphone oh. and just sort of sing the word whilst trying not to disturb. <laughs> In case this thing just walked onto my face. Yeah, that is um, terrifying. And yeah, they, they were just like all over your arms Ugh. and just ridiculous looking things. On one occasion, I remember <laughs> the show, the the worst one, the one with the praying mantis and this other thing <laughs> I'm about to tell you was in oh Balibo, in the, and was, which was quite sort of jungle-ish and in the highlands. Um, and so after the praying mantis, I'm playing away and I... It, it was regulation while we were there as well that we had to wear um, like army fatigues. Yeah. So you had to be in long sleeves and long pants and boots and everything and basically covered up as much as possible the whole time you were there because yeah. of, there was a malaria risk and oh, dengue fever and stuff like that. So you had to be covered up. 
you had to be tucked in um and you know it was you know they would they would tell you to tuck your sh- i mean you're with the army it'd be like yeah. you know tuck your shirt in <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but i'm on stage playing you know it's my set so i'm kind of going surely you know it's my set i can untuck my shirt or whatever <laughs> if i if i want to feel a bit more relaxed up here sure so i untuck my shirt which of course leaves an opening oh, no. for things to get in so oh. I'm playing away and I can feel this thing moving up my back. No. It felt large, to say the least. And I'm playing away just and I'm I'm kind of making sure that it's not like, is it something else? Is it the guitar strap? Is there I can't see because it's on my back. Um and then it was like, no, there's definitely something crawling up my back and it's big. Christ. So I didn't want to stop playing, so I kept on playing. I, I just sort of took my left hand off the guitar for a second and slapped this thing at my back, and it that wasn't enough to stop it. Oh, <laughs> it kept no. On. So I'm just slapping and slapping, and it's still moving. <laughs> and I had to give like, you know, half a dozen good solid whacks to whatever was on my back to, you know, stop it. Yeah, And then I got back to playing the song and I finished the song, I finished the set and I got off the stage and I took my shirt off and like the size of the the sort of stain uh. on the back of the shirt uh, <laughs> would indicate that whatever it was, it was huge. What and, the but fuck we'll never was know it? what it was. Oh, my we'll, God. We'll never know because I smashed it to oh smithereens. My God. But, um, so, oh, yeah, my God. That. <laughs> that is terrifying that is a terrifying story (laughs) yeah i would have packed up and gone home immediately (laughs) yeah well not easy to get home by yourself but you were i mean you were doing a great thing but jesus christ that is that's like my worst nightmare something crawling up your shirt while you're playing and especially if it's something big (laughs) no thank you yeah yeah, well, I mean, I could see the things that were on my arms and oh. I could see the things that were around me. So I was, I had an idea of, oh, of what it no. could have been, but it just, like I said, I had to whack it a bunch before it <laughs> stopped moving. Um, I have wow. swallowed a moth on stage before as well. So that's, I did have some prior experience. <laughs> Yeah. And did you, were you trying to keep it cool? Like, were you trying to go, I'm a professional person. I'm not going to, I'm not going to. With the moth? Or? Yeah, just just all of it. Yeah, with the moth, did you um, go, oops, in, keep singing. In East Timor, I was trying to keep it cool. I was trying to, because, you know, it's playing to a bunch of soldiers. Yeah. So I didn't want to like, I didn't want to wuss out and go, <laughs> oh my God, oh my God. You know, so I was definitely trying to keep it cool there. And I was just slapping at my back and looking like there was absolutely nothing wrong. And I, so I didn't make a big deal about that, but the the moth episode was quite different because that was at a pub in Bendigo, and it was a, just a really hot night. And I, you know, I often sing with my eyes closed, and yeah. I I had my eyes closed, and I took this big deep breath to sing the next line, and the next thing is there's something in my throat, and I open my eyes, and the whole front row is just looking at me in horror. And I'm like, why can't I sing the next line? There's something in my throat. So I kind of was like choking on it and I, I swallowed it. I choked it down. Oh, no. 
because I couldn't get it out. And people were just looking at me like I was what he's trying to do Ozzy Osbourne here. <laughs> Um, and I, I, we finished great. the song and then I was kind of said to the audience, I, what, I, what was what that? What was that? <laughs> what did I swallow? And they were like, it was a really big moth. Wow. Wow. I feel like you have a lot of, um, you have a lot of great stories. I want to hear them all. But I feel like, <laughs> I feel like that, that'll definitely give someone enough of an um, amazing visual to, to draw. So... <laughs> Thank yeah. you so much. And thank you again so much for, for doing this while we're all in quarantine. And I really appreciate you making the time to chat. And it was also just really nice to talk to you. It's been a really long time. No, thank you for having me. All right. Well, thank you so much. And, um, and you know, keep doing a great job um, homeschooling. And um, I'm going to send you some photos of my synthesizers now. Oh, yeah. I'd love to see that. <laughs>